I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest joining us again today um, for, I think, maybe the third or fourth time now on the show is Dr. John Schaff. Professor Schaff is professor of political science at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota, the author of a number of books, most recently, Abraham Lincoln's Statesmanship and the Limits of Liberal Democracy, uh, uh, something we talked about on the show, I think late last year it may have been, and um, also um, publishes online from time to time. You'll see his articles at the Public Discourse and uh, the Front Porch Republic, uh, both online publications that I've really enjoyed uh, reading uh, from time to time. Welcome to the show today, John. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to be with you and your listeners. So kind of stepping back uh, to, to Augustine, you joined us last time, and we promised kind of a two-part series here on Augustine and the City of God. So I'm just going to kind of tee this up so our listeners have a sense of the roadmap where we're going to go. We're going to continue the discussion. Um, today, we're going to step through the, what are the City of God? What are the City of Man? We didn't, we didn't define these as precisely last time. How do they relate? So we're going to go through that today. The proper ends, kind of step two, the proper ends for each city, temporal goods and eternal goods. And then in conclusion, we'll kind of recap and review some of the basic political teachings of St. Augustine on politics. So that's, that's where we're going today. Um, so kind of back, back to step one, John, what are the city of God and city of man? I think these are terms that we used last time, but it would be helpful, I think. Let's step back and, and if, uh, just define them. What do, they, what do they both mean? Yeah, I think last time we did a lot of talking about kind of setting up Augustine's world, so to yep. speak. Yeah, and we and so we use the terminology, but didn't didn't precisely define it. So obviously, the the name of the book that we are discussing is called City of God, and within that book, Augustine makes this distinction between the city of man and the city of God. And so, the city of God, which I I I do think we talked about a little bit last time, is most specifically the heavenly city, right? It is it is heaven. The city of God then has a representative here on earth, which is the church, right? So the church is the city of God's representative here on earth. Um, and so there's this image of the heavenly city, right? Here on earth. You then have an earthly city, the city of man, right? And that's what we would normally think of as, to put it crudely, but accurately enough, I suppose, government, right? So you have an earthly state and so it's got its tasks, the city of, of God and the, the church has its, its tasks. But another way I think of thinking about this, Chris, is that is maybe people, listeners should not think of the city of God and the city of man as actual places, but approaches to existence. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned in your intro, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to it here in a little bit, the difference between uh, eternal goods and temporal goods. And so... It's, do you follow God or do you follow the world, right? And so obviously the city of God is, I, I want to live by God's rules, recognizing God is the, the, the ultimate ruler, or think of that, um, that uh, celebration we have uh, every, I guess, right, the week before, I was going to say every November, but that's probably right. The week before Advent starts is the, uh, uh, is the celebration of Jesus Christ, king of the universe, or we, we normally call it Christ the king, yep. and shortening is recognizing 
that the ultimate authority is God's authority, and that is the eternal authority. And so worldly authority is secondary. Now, of course, the world has all sorts of goods. The world is created by God, and so it's not bad, right? Uh, but it is fallen, it is sinful, so it is therefore imperfect. And so we don't want to fall into the error that, um, you know, Augustine fell into at one point in his life when he was a Manichaean, uh, of dividing things neatly in between spiritual good, yep. temporal bad, but nonetheless, the temporal is imperfect, it is fallen, so we don't want, also we don't want to worship temporal or limited goods, right? And so, um, and I think, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think I re- recall from reading this book, because I, as I mentioned last time, I, I did read The City of God um, with another guy over the, it took us like a year to read because it's, as I mentioned last time, it's like a tome. It's a huge book. But I do recall Augustine having a discussion too of, of like the fall. So yeah. do I remember correctly that in, in Augustine's, the way he sees it is that at, at the creation of, of man, um, mm-hmm. that there was, there was a, just a, a greater integration of these two cities as they, as they existed, but it's actually the fall, sort of this, and, and we carry the effects of the fall today with the original sin, we believe as Catholics, that it severed, uh, kind of rendered these two cities apart. Is that a correct recitation? Yeah, and, and think of you know, the, the word diabolical uh, literally means like to semper, separate or divide. Hmm. So obviously, if, if, you, if you look at Genesis or read uh, a great poetic vision of Genesis, namely Paradise Lost by John Milton and, and the fall. Now, Milton is not canonical, uh, but it's still really good, I think, um, of saying what was life like before the fall. And so you have this unity between the will of man and the will of God. Uh, and then the fall occurs. And at that point, you have division. And even look at what is the world like, right? Augustine says the city of man is going to be divided by lawsuits, wars, conflict, right? It's going to end up at war with itself or with others, causing, you know, that's why empires rise, empires fall, empires rise, empires fall. So all things of this world are going to pass, right? And so um, that's what I mean is that, that the city of man has been corrupted. Uh, and so we can't look at it um, for ultimate meaning, right? And so there's uh, the city of, of man um, uh, can be led by a Christian or a non-Christian, um, and and what obviously what Augustine prefers is that to the extent possible, the city of man will follow the precepts of God. Um, but even the, the idea of, shall we say, a Christian republic, I think Augustine is teaching us that that situation of like a Christian prince, if you will, uh, or a Christian republic is a situation that's not likely to last long just because the city of man will always go through tumult. And so, so we shouldn't be looking to politics or government, the state, whatever, for salvation, because ultimately its, its goals are much more limited uh, to temporal good goals like basic peace, order, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's maybe even just kind of um, maybe viewing that through the, the lens of sort of some contemporary tumult in our country right now. 
I was just having a conversation with somebody else this morning. They're kind of just feeling a lot of angst and, oh, golly, what's you know happening to our country? Free speech seems to be perhaps under assault in some way. And my encouragement is, is along those lines of, yeah, we should, we should care about, as in Augustine's terms, the city of man. We absolutely must care about it. It's not that um, just because uh, it's, it's fallen doesn't mean that we don't care or don't work for it. Yet at the same time, there's always going to be some level of tumult in the world and we have to, we have to set our sights on, on heaven, on, on things above. It's, it's, it's the son of God sent from heaven that saves us, uh, sent from and the city of God. Augustine says that the city of man is, uh, I'm going to try and think of the word inevitably is going to be too strong, but I'm going to use it as inevitably going to be ruled by the lust to dominate. Mm. Or put it this way, the ability, even when you're obviously within ourselves, our ability to suppress that is limited. And every once in a while, it's going to come out. The question is how, how often it is. And so that's what I mean, that the, the city of man its ends are limited, finite goods, whereas the city of God's ends are ultimate, infinite, eternal goods. And so they're, they're, last time we talked about hierarchies of goods, so the goods of the city of God are superior to the goods of the city of man, which doesn't mean that the, that the city of man has goods, but they are inferior goods to the city of man, or I'm sorry, to the city of God, and so, like you're talking about with uh, the person you're, you're, you're talking with this morning, we should not expect perfection, uh, heavenly perfection, out of, out of this world. And to the extent that even the state can, can promote or is conducive to uh, the tranquility of order that Augustine seeks, he said, oh, there is, Augustine says there, there is a true republic. And that republic is not here. Mm. Uh, so if we're expecting perfection or salvation, even to the extent that the temporal city can promote these eternal goods, it's going to be limited. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't look to it for that, which again, doesn't mean you know, that scripture says that government was ordained by God to do godly goods, but those goods are secondary goods. So maybe that's a, a, a good point uh, for us to transition from a discussion of some of the, the goods property each to, to talk about ends and the ends of, of each, you know, one of the, the words that um, it's like one of those big words that the first time I saw it as an adult, I had to like get out the dictionary and look it up. But it, the word I think was, was telos or tel, telos, mm-hmm. however we pronounce it, which I think is maybe Greek in origin, but this whole concept um, of, of an end is, is what it means. It, the first time I heard that, it was like maybe a bit, I don't know, a bit philosophical for me. But as I've just sort of explored more of both the teaching of the church, but also some of the political philosophy that, that undergirds our, our country, I've just seen how important having an, an idea of ends is. So I'm wondering if maybe you can just explain that concept a bit more articulately than I, like what is an end? But then describe also what are some of the ends of, of the city of God and the city of man. Yeah, and so yeah, the, 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 the Greek word that you're using, telos, um, people can think of it as what does a telescope do, right? Telescope has the root of telos, that's the first word, then scope, right, to see. Uh, so it's to see the ends. When I look, look through a telescope, I'm trying to see the end of the universe, the edge. Obviously, I can't, uh, but you get the point. 
with yeah. what a telescope is trying to do. Um, and so uh, the idea of, uh, well, in philosophy, uh, we talk about teleology, the study of ends. What is the purpose of a thing? And so the city of God and the city of man have these dual purposes, right? So the, 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 the telos, the end of the city of man is a kind of worldly peace, a worldly order. Even think about, you know, Augustine is, is probably the first theorist of what we call just war theory, uh, which is now very well developed in the church and there's secular uh, just war theory. But the idea of what is the purpose of war, right? Augustine is not a pacifist. The purpose of war is that there is a disorder and the purpose of war is to restore order, right? An earthly order. And that's why, for example, Augustine says that you, you don't go to war for riches, to conquer, uh, you know, to rule over other people. And once you have achieved the ends of order, you go no further, right? You don't punish. If, if you defeat your enemy, you don't punish your enemy. Or you, you are punitive only to the extent that it is a deterrent to further disorder, right? It's not, it's not cruelty. It's not being punitive for the sake of being punitive. And so... The purpose of, of the earthly city is to create a basic public order. And, but part of that basic public order is you know, alongside the city of man, there is the city of God. And the two exist. If we can think of the city of God as the church, the church exists within the temporal order while having an eternal mission. So the two have to exist with each other. And there are certain things that the city of man can do that might further some of the mission of the city of God, but the mission of the city of God, the mission of the, of the church is the salvation of goals. So it's teleology, the teleology of the church of the city of God is the salvation of souls and ultimately eternal union with God. And so the city of man's job is to, you might say, get out of the way of the city of God because mm. the city of God's ends are, it's telos is higher and that of the city of, of man. And so to get out of its way, uh, to, so the city of man gets out of the way of the city of God and to the extent that it can facilitate certain things that might help, like for example, protection of the family, right? Sure. Domestic peace, right? Um, it, it's The city of man does not itself promote eternal life, but it can do things that facilitate the city of God. For example, even think of things like charitable activities. If we've got Corporal works of mercy, for example, care for the sick, hospitals. So the church has an extensive hospital network in, in, in contemporary society. Don't get in the way of the hospital, the, the, the church's hospitals doing what they need to do to save souls. Or think of our education system, right? Educate the ignorant, right? Another corporal work of mercy. Don't get in the way of the church's educational system doing what it does to save souls, which is ultimately what, what our education system is for, as much as it might also achieve other, other ends. So, so even, it, I love this discussion because my lawyer brain is kind of going to some particulars too. And yeah. I don't know why this came to mind, but one of the classes I took in law school, I took, um, I took a course on the Internal Revenue Code. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, that was fun. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> but even, you know, just things like, um, these, even in tax policy, you can see how these policies of the city of man, so to speak, are trying to incentivize or get maybe even get out of the way of some of these goods 
uh, oriented towards the ends of the city of God. For example, um, nonprofit tax status mm-hmm. for, as you mentioned, charities, churches, um, th- these things that, that try and both serve people temporally, but also orient their souls towards heaven. Or even another example from our tax code would be the, um, the earned income tax credit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of incentivizing in many regards through tax policy, family life. Yeah. Um, so or things like, like child tax credits, that sort of thing, or think yeah, of recent, uh, the recent, the recent Supreme court ruling, uh, on what we call in the law, the ministerial exception. Yeah. So if a, if a school is aligned with the church and it wants to hire teachers, can it, can it hire teachers consistent with that church's beliefs or does it have to, does the, the school have to follow, uh, other civil rights laws, which might limit the church. And so what the, what the court has done a, a couple of times over the last, say, uh, what, five or six years has said schools have, like churches, like like an actual fiscal, like, you know, churchy church, um, yeah. uh, where actual re, uh, ex- religious exercises take place. But a school is an arm of the church, and in some ways teachers are ministers. Yeah, And so we can make an exception uh, to civil rights law for religious schools because that is the state getting out of the way of the, of the city of God to allow that religious school to save souls without interference uh, from the state. Right? Um, and so, uh, so that's a way that, the, that the, these are examples in our own system. And we, we can think of counterexamples where, where the, the, the state gets in the way of salvation of souls. But these are examples of how the state is trying to accommodate uh, the city of God and allow the church to do that, which is the, what the church is supposed to do. Amen. And I, I can just testify too to, to, for our listeners that this is, this is a question that has really been on the mind of a lot of American bishops as our country has been experiencing the, the coronavirus pandemic is just how do we as, how do, the, how do they as bishops um, remain focused on their duty to care for souls? You know, mm-hmm. um, so very, very present in the, in the minds of leaders of the church. If you're just joining us, uh, this is Chris Most, the host of Faith and Politics, joined by Professor John Schaff. We are talking about uh, the City of God, St. Augustine's classic work in our, our second installment on the series. And this is maybe a, a good point in time, John, is we've got about nine or 10 minutes um, left in our conversation to just kind of go back over some of the basic political yeah. teachings of St. Augustine. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've got in front of me a list uh, so uh, look out, there's a list coming. Uh, but I, I think the first thing, and we've, we've sort of discussed this already today, is I think an Augustinian approach to politics is that politics is a limited good. It is a temporal good. And so if we think of you know, again, temporal and temporary are related to each other. So mm. these are goods that come and go, right? They, they are not eternal goods. So politics is a limited good. Um, and even, you know, uh, one of the things Augustine talks about is, is, um, why sometimes he's, you know, when he, in his investigation of Rome, discussion of Rome, why do sometimes bad people prosper here on earth while good people suffer? And Augustine says, this is to teach us that those goods that vicious people have are not ultimate goods, right? And so even bad people, uh, I would think of, you know, classic examples of, of a Hitler or a Napoleon or an or a Emperor Nero, 
people can, if you will, prosper politically while being vicious human beings, it's, it's a way to teach us that these are not ultimate goods. And so one thing I think listeners should, should get is that, that politics is a limited, a temporal good as it serves temporal or temporary ends. I think a second thing is that the, the purpose of the state is to maintain order. And so why did God, as I said, in scripture, it tells us that in, in, uh, in the epistles of Paul, that God ordained uh, government. He ordained princes, rulers, what have you. Why? Because we have a sinful nature, right? Um, and that sinful nature has to be controlled, right? And one way to do that, uh, it's not the only way to do it, but one way to do that is we set up laws. So we have governments that maintain order. So we're not beating each other over the heads and taking each other's stuff. Uh, and so, so the purpose of the state is to maintain public order. So that's the second thing. So one, politics is limited. Two, the purpose of, of the state, the purpose of politics is to maintain that tranquility of order. Right? A third thing is that government's legitimacy is based on an ability to keep that order and to protect the church. And so one of the things the state should be aimed at is keeping basic justice. And so you mentioned things, uh, Chris, you mentioned something like the, the earned income tax credit. Um, the state's job is not to save souls, but nonetheless, we can use the state for something like, for something like charitable activities, right? It's not the same as charitable because of course our tax money is coerced, that, that sort of thing, there's force involved. But we can, we can achieve through our collective efforts of government certain kinds of justices and, and the, the, the two can be in, in harmony with each other, even though again, the, 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 the city of man is going to be a secondary way of achieving this versus, uh, versus the church. And I say, I think a, a fourth, fourth thing that we talked about more last time is that there is an order in the universe that we have to conform to. So an essential thing that we're talking about here is that the order is the city of God takes precedence over the city of man, right? And our salvation comes from the city of God. And that's what we, we don't want to fall into a kind of quasi-Pelagian heresy mm. and thinking that, that the earthly state can save our souls. And I think we sometimes fall into that. I think it's, it's an error Christians sometimes fall into is that, that they sometimes want to over-Christianize politics. And so we fall into more... Constantinian as, a as opposed to Augustinian view of the state. And we expect more of politics than politics can offer. Now, we yes, all want yes. to live in a, in, a, in a civil state where Christianity is valued. And, valued, and if we could call it Christian morals or Christ Christian virtues are promoted by the state. But nonetheless, the state is not the church. And so it's I, not I, the job of the state uh to 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 become a substitute religion which i think you can see that as we get into things like christian nationalism i think you know there's there are contemporary debates about this i don't nationalism is not per se uh a, a bad thing but there as i mentioned there's a reason why we why we celebrate christ the king yeah that this the state 
is secondary and is not ultimately where our loyalty lies. Well, and, and that's an interesting, just, you've mentioned that feast day, the feast of Christ the King a couple times now, and that's maybe an interesting one. I don't have the history off the tip of my tongue, but my recollection is that that, and maybe I could do an episode with, with one of our, our great priests in the state, but my recollection is that that feast was instituted in the 20th century it for is. the universal yep. church, kind of in recognition um, of some sort of rising nationalistic politics and, and the need to actually, nope, we're setting Christ as, as the sovereign Lord of the universe. It's, there's only one savior uh, and it's actually not our, our government. It's not our political party. Precisely. Well, because to, to be precise, the, the feast of Christ, Christ the King is an early 20th century um, innovation. Uh, there is uh, Pius XI, uh, issued a an encyclical, Quas Primas, and what it was responding to was persecution of the church in Mexico. If you've seen the movie, uh, Cristo Rey, oh, yeah. uh, which uh, Andy Garcia is in it, right? In fact, I think he made the movie, the, the, the Cuban actor, Andrew Garcia. Yeah. Andy yeah. Garcia made the film. And that is what, you know, Cristo Rey, Christ the King, that's what it's about is, it, or if, uh, there's uh, the Graham Greene uh, novel. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I power, just lost. Glory, power and glory. Yeah. The, the, the power and the glory is is about the systematic persecution of the church in Mexico. And uh, now my history is going to get weak. Nineteen teens, nineteen twenties. Uh, and to say no, your authority, your authority, government of Mexico is limited, and ultimately the real king is Christ the King. And the 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 sin or the error of the Mexican church was trying to make itself superior to the church as if the church is a is a is just one of many social institutions within uh, society and ultimately the the state rules over the church but but that's I think what what Christ the king is trying to get at, is that no ultimately it's 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 the church that rules and, and it's well and the Christ rules as as of course head of head of the church well we've got so. a couple minutes uh, left here and I think you know just even bringing Augustine and some of these truths up to the 20th century, we can even see them more recently with the, the way the church is articulated, um, the, the role and vocation of, of the laity, especially in the Second Vatican Council. I'm going to have uh, Susan Safford from the Diocese of Rapid City on in a couple of weeks. She's going to talk with us about, about the particular vocation of the laity. And so I think even with the church telling its clerics, priests and bishops, no, you, you're not supposed to be running for office. We can even see... Uh, Augustine's teaching bearing out in, in the modern era, the way the church understands uh, the role of the laity as sort of having legitimate, um, uh, a legitimate place to exercise its voice in politics and, and the voice of the clerics not being completely cut off, but being a bit more circumcised, uh, circumscribed. It's not, it's not the same role as the role of a layperson. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we've got a, um, maybe in, in 30, 40 seconds left, anything you want to want to add to, to wrap us up? Yeah, let me make just one last point. Is that it, Augustine, city of God, remember, Augustine is a bishop. His his goal is not to create a political treatise. Uh, mm. Even though we've talked about, about politics, his goal is to save your soul or to yeah. help you do it. Um, and so I think the ultimate lesson here is that beware the lure of the world, right? And so conform your will to God, not the man, not not to, to man. And that's why I said that the city of God is the true republic. And and 
that's what that's what Augustine's ultimate message is. A great place to end right there. Uh, Professor John Schaff, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in once again. Until next time, live well.